What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. It is my pleasure to have you along listening with us this week. I appreciate it when you guys take the time to tune in. Uh, something very cool happened for us this week at our church. Uh, we, uh, well, our crew, the website that they have been working on and put together over a fair amount of time, was voted the best website in Australia by Church Support Australia. Um, our amazing team puts an incredible amount of work and time into our social media and online content, web development, all that stuff. Um, you can follow us, like, share. It certainly helps when you do. You can follow myself, Christopher B. Miller, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at PC Speaking. You can also follow Hinterland Baptist Church on Facebook and Instagram. We certainly appreciate it when you do, because when you like, share, do those things, it uh feeds the algorithm and puts this content in front of more people, plus the content that our team puts together and puts out um, daily. And yeah, your engagement helps us reach more people. So we certainly appreciate it when you do that. Um, Well, we are in a new series today, The Whole Armor of God. This is exciting one. Looking forward to it, certainly. uh, One that maybe you have... uh, heard before. Um, Hope to give you some useful insight on the armor of God. But even when looking at a small portion of scripture, a few verses out of the Bible, it's always better to look at those verses in the context of, of course, the, the book that they're in and also the larger context of the Bible itself. And the reason we do that is because it just helps give us a better picture and understanding of what we're looking at, what we're reading, Uh, better understanding of the passage, the intent behind it, what the writer had in mind when they were writing it. And the theme of the book of Ephesians is finding unity and fulfilling our purpose as part of our church. And Paul encourages the Ephesians and in turn us as well to achieve and maintain unity by living out our faith in practical ways in our day-to-day lives, in our community, doing things like showing love, showing forgiveness towards each other, towards other people, uh, speaking the truth and love, using our time, talents, and abilities to build up and strengthen each other, and in turn, our church, our families, and our community. And throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul emphasizes that a church is more than just a human institution. It's more than just a community of people. You know, there are a lot of great social clubs um, in the world. There are charities that are doing tremendous work in the world. And I certainly, you know, commend them. It's, it's amazing what some charities are doing out there. But a healthy church should be all of those things and more in that it has a spiritual significance that extends beyond temporal and physical things. And if you and your church are fulfilling your purpose as a church, you will be having a positive impact in your community on a day-to-day basis, as well as an eternal impact on the kingdom of God. 
And Paul shows us that we are part of, um, as Christians, we're part of something that's more than just another religion. It's more than just a simple spiritual practice. It's not just a physical institution or organization. It's more than a social club, but we are part of God's larger plan and we get to participate that in that in a big way. And that's pretty cool. And it's very special. It's very important. God intends to make his wisdom, his glory known to our community through the local church, through your local church, through my local church. We're not just people who believe in Jesus. We're the vehicle God uses to reveal his wisdom, reveal himself, to our community. And one of the ways that happens is by living out our faith in practical ways on a day-to-day basis, ways that demonstrate God's wisdom, God's power. We're a living testimony to God's plan of salvation. And it's important to think about that and remember that. And with those things in mind, we come to the beginning of our new series, The Whole Armor of God. And we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And I'll go ahead and read those to you now. And this is what they say Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Um, I've got them on my monitor over here to my left. This is what they say Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, or because of these things, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication to that end, Be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray for me that the power to speak may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In this passage, Paul gives us instructions and tools to achieve unity and accomplish our purpose as we serve God together as part of our church. And he illustrates these tools as pieces of armor. And they're usually referred to as the whole armor of God. And we're going to take the time to look at each piece of this armor individually as we go through this series. Um, but as a brief introduction, here, here's a little bit of what we'll be talking about as we go through the series, a little bit about each piece of armor. Now, the first one is the belt of truth. And that represents telling the truth, being truthful, uh, living on a foundation of truth in your life. We've talked about truth a lot in the past. It's a very important thing that we do live on a foundation of truth. Uh, Then there is the breastplate of righteousness. 
And that's striving to live righteously and guard our hearts against evil. Uh, Our feet are to be fitted with the gospel of peace. Christians are ready to share the gospel and live at peace with the world around us. And we take up the shield of faith, placing our faith in God, trusting in his promises, especially when circumstances are difficult. And we wear the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, to protect our thoughts with the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the Christian's weapon against the lies and deceptions of the enemy, the sword of the spirit. And Paul also mentions two other important elements in uh, this passage. One of them is prayer and the other is standing strong in the Lord. A constant, persistent prayer life, seeking God's guidance, protection, and strength in the Lord. And we are to employ these things to stand firm against and resist the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the enemy, withstand spiritual attacks, to withstand uh, temptation. We employ these pieces of armor that Paul is talking about, standing strong in the Lord in prayer. And the first thing we read in our passage today, Paul says, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And what we're really talking about today, or what we're going to be talking about today is spiritual warfare. And it's an introduction to the whole armor of God. And spiritual warfare is a really easy topic to drown in. It's one to, um, I don't know, it can get taken to some weird places. It can be conflated with things that really doesn't need to be conflated with. And I don't want you to drown in it, but hopefully recognize the reality of it and how to deal with it in your own life. And I hope that through this, we gain a better understanding of what it is. And one thing it's not is physical warfare, meaning your physical ability, your strength are irrelevant when it comes to spiritual warfare. They're just not part of it. And that's why Paul says to stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might, because to do otherwise, to decide to stand in our own strength would uh, ensure defeat in spiritual warfare. And Paul closes the book of Ephesians, a book on unity, a book on purpose, um, and fulfilling that purpose together with our church by introducing us to the armor of God. And Paul says, finally, regarding everything else I've talked about in this book, this letter that he wrote to the Ephesians, he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God. And the beginning of an understanding of spiritual warfare is understanding the need to remain strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not relying on self, not relying on what you think you know, not relying on your own strength, but relying on the strength of the Lord. Each piece of armor that we're going to look at leads us to do that, to stand strong in the Lord. It all points to the Lord. Putting on the whole armor of God requires submission to the Lord. It's all about Him. It's only by standing strong 
in the Lord that we are able to put on the armor of God and stand against the schemes of the devil and not pieces and parts of it, because if you only put on pieces and parts of armor, it's just not going to be effective. But not So not pieces and parts of it, but put on, as Paul says, the whole armor of God, the whole set. Seeing strength in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand. And spiritual warfare is a topic that tends to pique people's interest. It's something that people kind of get drawn into. And I said, it's a topic that is easy to drown in. We don't want to do that. It's easy to be confused, misled, misunderstood, or even conflate it with the wrong thing. So my plan is to do my best to hopefully clear up any misconceptions people might have about it and put us on the right track so that we might take away from this a better understanding of spiritual warfare, what it is. And it's also my hope that we're able to build on this as we go through these different pieces of armor over the coming several weeks. So today's the foundation we'll be building on as we go through this. Now, to better understand spiritual warfare, we need to understand several things about it, some specifics about it. You know, Why does the battle take place? What is the battle about? What are we fighting for? What are we fighting against? All of these things matter. Where does the battle actually take place? That's an important one. And how do we fight it? And those are all important things to understand as we talk about spiritual warfare. So let's look at what we're fighting against, first of all. And that's really, it's really a twofold thing, what we're fighting against. One is the actual enemy you could say we're fighting against, but more so we are fighting against what the enemy is trying to accomplish. That's more our enemy than the enemy itself. And I'm kind of be explaining that more as we go forward. But verse 12 says, for instance, for a fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this tells us something about the who, and it also tells us something about the how and where of spiritual warfare. Regarding spiritual warfare, I think sometimes we as Christians, we, we tend to slip coming out of the starting blocks or stumble before we even get out of the starting blocks when we don't really understand who the enemy is or what we're fighting against. Um, now, so uh, who is the enemy we're fighting against? Before Paul answers that question, the first thing he does is he tells us who we're not fighting against, which I think is interesting that he does that. Paul says our flight is, fight is not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? It means the battle of spiritual warfare is not against people because people are flesh and blood, which is probably the way we often see it. It is against other people. Um, In spiritual warfare, if you can physically see the enemy, you're fighting against the wrong enemy. There may be ways spiritual warfare is manifested in people, but the battle is not against people. And I know at times that that is hard to swallow. It's difficult to do that. But if you can see your enemy, you are fighting the wrong enemy. So first up, the battle we fight in spiritual warfare 
is not against people. And if you view it that way, you are very likely falling into the hands of the enemy. Some people may see Christians as their enemy. People may act like an enemy. Um, They may even be a tool of the enemy. But the reality is, is that flesh and blood people are not what we're fighting against. They are not the enemy. And because we live in a body of flesh and blood, it's not easy to get our heads around the idea that people are not the enemy. That can be a real struggle for us. And I think that's why Paul says it up front. He wants us to know that. He's like, don't confuse this. Don't mess this up because if you mess this up first, the rest of this is just not gonna work. And I have to keep telling myself that. This person isn't the real enemy when I'm having a negative interaction with someone, especially over things of faith, things of God, and you know, I might get angry about something. I have to keep telling myself, okay, this person isn't your enemy. They're not the real enemy here. And if I see them as my enemy, I will attack them. I'll fight against them. And, and that's wrong. That's not what I do when it comes to spiritual warfare. That's just not how it works. And Paul writes in another verse, the same is true for the weapons of spiritual warfare. He says they're not carnal. That means uh, they're not physical either. And the Bible tells us our enemy is not flesh and blood, but the battle is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And I think it's worth taking note there that Paul mentions a plurality of enemies. There's several of them going on there. It's like there's an army of them. The enemies enemies in spiritual warfare are spiritual powers that we can't physically see. So that's who the enemy is. And what's the fight about? The enemy seeks to oppose God's truth, to oppose God's will, to build strongholds against the knowledge of God. The enemy seeks to deceive people and rob them of the knowledge of God. That's the goal of the enemy. That's what spiritual warfare is about. In spiritual warfare, it's not an honest, direct opposition. It's not a confrontation where you meet face-to-face on a battlefield. It's not like that at all. It's an attempt to propagate deception, to hide the knowledge of God, to deceive people, to attempt to build a stronghold against the knowledge of God. That's what the enemy does in spiritual warfare. And that affects everything from individuals to families, to churches, to your family, to my family, to my church, to your church, to the community around us. And it even affects it can have an effect on eternal things. The battle is against Satan and demonic forces, the father of lies and the angels who follow him. And they can't physically be seen, but they can have influence and power over people who can be seen. They can have influence and power over things that are happening in the world, and they reside in a realm that is beyond what we can see. But the battle, it does sometimes manifest itself in physical ways, in ways that we can see. And the Bible tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God so that we may resist the attacks of evil forces and stand firm in our faith against the real enemy, spiritual forces 
attempting to deceive, attempting to hide, attempting to build strongholds against the knowledge of God. God, his will, and what he says are right and true and good. And the forces of evil work in opposition to that. Spiritual warfare is a battle between those two things. And I mentioned that we're not so much fighting against Satan as we are fighting against what Satan is trying to accomplish. And the reason for that is because Satan is already defeated. We know that as Christians. We know that the Bible is quite clear that Satan and those, you know, Satan and his angels and those whose names are not written in the book of life are destined for eternal torment in the lake of fire. And that's a biblical teaching. And we know that well. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave on the cross. And those who trust him as savior, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life and they will not be cast into the lake of fire. They will spend eternity with Jesus. Death, the grave, and Satan have already been defeated. And then someone might ask, which seems reasonable, well, if he's already been defeated, then why are we concerned about this battle? Why is there even a battle happening? Why does it matter now? If Satan is already defeated, What's the goal? Why is spiritual warfare even a thing? Why is it something we need to think about and be aware of and be prepared for? Why does it matter? Well, here's an illustration that I think might help that, something to kind of describe why that is. And have have you seen the Lord of the Rings movie? Um, Great movie. I think probably most of the people on earth have seen that movie, but the Lord of the Rings... In in that movie, there's a, there's a point in the movie where uh, the fellowship is in the mines of Moria, and uh, they're running from the Balrog, and they cross the bridge of Khazad-dûm, and everyone except Gandalf has made it across this bridge. Right, the fellowship they're already up and headed out of the mountain, and even though it was very tricky getting there, they you know they almost fall into the lake of fire. There's a lot of fire imagery. And once the fellowship is safely across, Gandalf turns back to face the Balrog. And there's this big dramatic scene where Gandalf shouts, you know, you shall not pass. And the bridge crumbles under the Balrog and the Balrog falls into the abyss. And at that point, the Balrog has been defeated. The fellowship is safe. They're headed out of the mountain. But in a last-ditch effort, the Balrog swings his whip and he catches Gandalf by the leg and he drags Gandalf into the abyss with him. And in spiritual warfare, the enemy is defeated. Satan and his angels are destined for the lake of fire and nothing's going to change that. So all he can do is try to drag as many people with him as possible. That's his time is limited. And that's, that's what spiritual warfare is about is Satan trying to drag as many people with him as possible. And the enemy is actually in what I view as a mostly defensive position. Um, listen to what second Corinthians 10, three through five says, it says this, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The enemy, through lies, deception, confusion, distraction, is trying to build strongholds against the knowledge of God, trying to drag people down with him. The enemy's goal is to build a defensive position that will keep people separated from the knowledge of God. The enemy's goal is to build a defensive position that will keep people separated from the knowledge of God. That could be any number of things, couldn't it? It could be an addiction. It could be a certain uh, philosophy. It could be a worldview. There's a lot of different things could, that could be a stronghold against the knowledge of God. It could be just a simple love for pleasure even. So there could be all of these different things that are stronghold against the knowledge of God. And that is the weapon of the enemy, building those strongholds. Now, where does that battle take place? And I mentioned that one of our mistakes regarding spiritual warfare is viewing people as the enemy. That's one of our first and big mistakes. Now, another big mistake that I think we make in spiritual warfare is where we see the battle lines being drawn, not actually knowing where the battle takes place. And I think one of the biggest mistakes in spiritual warfare that Christians make is thinking the battle is fought somewhere out there. It's somewhere outside of church, somewhere outside of community, somewhere outside of ourselves. It's somewhere out there with a group of people. It's somewhere out there with, you know, someone, something. Could be any number of things. Now, the battle is for the hearts and minds of the people of our community. The battle is over whether we will see people follow Jesus or fall with Satan. The battle, it doesn't take place out there. It takes place in your heart and your mind. And the battle is for the hearts and the minds of the people in our community. Spiritual warfare is a battle that is fought and won through prayer, through loving God, through loving your neighbor, being wise as a serpent, being harmless as a dove, following the commands of Jesus, putting on the whole armor of God, submitting yourself to God and his will. That's how the battle is won. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that tells us where the main battle is where the main battle lines are drawn. It tells us where the most heated battle of all takes place. It says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want you to ask yourself a question as we think about this. Whose thoughts can you take captive? Whose thoughts can you even know for that matter? Only your own thoughts. When Paul says, take every thought captive, he shows us that the front line 
of spiritual warfare is in your heart and in your mind. It's in my heart and in my mind. It's not out there. It begins in your heart and mind. That's where it starts. That is where you and I must first tear down strongholds and imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. That's where we must think take our thoughts captivity in obedience to Christ. The battle you fight is in your heart first. Then it is in the hearts and minds of people. It's about living in complete obedience to Christ. That's how we fight spiritual warfare. It's about praying in submission to God's will like Jesus did in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. And people, you know, we don't really like to hear that. We like to think that, you know, we're going to get out, we're going to do this and we're going to kick the devil and blah, 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 blah. And they don't like, we don't like to hear those kinds of things because we're prideful and we want things to be how we want them to be. And we want to fight against flesh and blood and we want to rely on our own abilities. That's what we want to do. We want credit basically is what it boils down to. But when we do that, you know, we're no different than, anything else in the world around us as God's people, as a church, as a Christian community. Without standing strong in the Lord and his might, without the whole armor of God, you see, we're just another opinion in a sea of opinions. We don't look any different than anybody else, but as followers of Jesus, we are more than that. We're more than a social club. We're more than a philosophy. We're more than just a human institution or group of people who practice some brand of spirituality. You have to sort out your heart first. You have to tear down the strongholds in your own heart, the imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. You have to work on prayer and submission and putting on the whole armor of God living in obedience to Jesus and his commands. See, the battle is won through surrender, surrendering ourselves to the Lord, surrendering ourselves to the commands of Jesus, taking our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. That's how we fight the battle. That's how we win the battle. Not by defeating other people, by defeating our own strongholds in our own hearts and minds against the knowledge of God tearing those things down in our hearts and minds that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. That's where it has all has to start. If we don't start there, we will be defeated in everything else we do. That begins with prayer. It begins with standing strong in the Lord and standing strong in his might. And the reality is that's something we all deal with. And we need to admit that. We need to face up to it. We need to own up to it. Then we need to start digging around and looking for those things in our own heart, in our own mind. We need to spend time in prayer, thinking about those things. What imaginations am I not taking captive? What thoughts am I not taking captive in obedience to Christ? What thoughts am I just letting do their own thing? Where are there strongholds in my heart that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God? Because if we are going to be successful in the battles of spiritual warfare for the hearts and the minds of our community, that's where we have to start. And I encourage you to think about that and to do that 
as we move forward in this series. And I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll think about that. I want to encourage you to do that. Where are the strongholds in my heart and mind? Where are the thoughts that I'm not taking captive in obedience to Christ? As I look to put on the whole armor of God, as we're going to talk about the next several weeks. But I hope you'll think about these things. I hope that you've found them helpful. And if you have, please share them with somebody else. Um, Really, it's just our goal to help Christians live life as Christians. Join us on YouTube, on social media, like, share. The more you uh, put that, do those kinds of things, engage with content, the more the content's going to be put in front of more people. So we're grateful for each of you and thankful for each of you. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 